Welcome back. Welcome back to the Laughing Matters podcast. I'm your host, W.S. Walker, who also happens to be the author of The Laughing Matters and the host of the Could Help channel on YouTube. I feel like I should be playing some of the, like, the come on down music from, uh, is it Price is Right or The Price is Right? Huh. Interesting, interesting. Uh, let me, I gotta look that up real quick. I, did I just find a Mandela effect? Okay, uh, so I, alright, so I looked it up, uh, interesting, it is The Price is Right, which I do not remember, okay, interesting, but not nearly as interesting as what we're doing here today. You see, I have a friend of mine that I decided to have the conversation about the genuine laugh and breaking laugh with. You know, I wanted to do a, just a simple, straightforward episode that like hit some of the key points just right out of the gate, all in one episode, and made even better because I'm explaining it to someone else in front of you instead of just talking to the camera. You know, I can express myself a little better when I'm actually talking to a person that I can see and get feedback from. And I ended up really thoroughly enjoying the conversation, and we shot it for a Could Help episode. So if you're wondering why the mics sound not super great. They don't sound anywhere near as good as I sound right now. It's because uh, we basically were wearing lavalier mics under our shirts, and it's uh, I didn't really have a chance to uh, prep the rooms for, for sound because I was having to rush around and get the camera and the light set up since it was at their house. Never shot there before. Had to kind of figure out outlets. And anyhow, we had this conversation, and it's, it's a very solid one that hits the core of the things that set this whole thing off so I definitely wanted to do this one as a podcast episode as well. I really really hope you'll enjoy it because I know you're going to enjoy her. She's I adore her. So we're going to hop over to our two reporters in the field and send it over to Will Help in just a moment but before we do that I also wanted to take a second so you guys could hear the rather supreme quality of the mic that I'm using today. What you are hearing is the Shure SM7B. This is the gold standard for the broadcasting industry. And yes, I've said that about 17 times to friends, family, and myself, re-justifying the purchase. It's something that I've had an eye on for over a year now. And, I've, you know, they, for a while there it was like, I, should I get it? And then eventually I came to the point of like, yeah, I, I want to get this. this. Let's go ahead and step it up. It was an investment, but I'm glad I did it because, I mean, listen to that. Now, you've probably seen this mic. Uh, pretty much any professional podcasting thing you've ever seen. Uh, Joe Rogan Show definitely has one in front of his face. And I got to tell you, I've been doing some like online performances. I, I sing and play guitar as well. And, uh, oh, it sounds so good. I've never had a, a, a microphone boost my confidence so much as what I'm hearing back. Cause I need, you know, I hear this live while I'm going out and just, oh my goodness, <laughs> I sing better than I thought I sing. And I, I'll get a little more into that, uh, you know, later on, coming soon. We're going to talk about something I've been doing uh, recently online. 
But I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be popping in at least one more to fill in a gap that was left because uh, a part of it we discussed before we started rolling and part of it was cut out because there was like a severe audio issue uh, that popped up and we missed part of the conversation because of it. But yeah, I got you. I got you, fams. So without further ado, I introduce you to Brienne. And clap. <laughs> Looking at the car wash. Oh, 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 at the car wash. Yeah. How did you get so much taller than me? I'm a Capricorn. I'm six foot four. Um, that doesn't. Triple Capricorn. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a comfy couch. But. Yeah. I straightened out your my spine okay. for your nice. Oh my god. For your nice I'm show. still shorter than you. You're in I, my spot. I look like I'm slouching right now. No, here. Uh, Hi. Welcome. Hello. Hey guys. Will Help here from the Could Help channel and W.S. Walker from the Laughing Matters podcast. I am here today with Brianne, a good friend of mine for how long have we known each other? Oh, since I got out of high school, so 2016, 2017. I hit up Brianne. Oh, Maybe like once every couple of months, and I'm like, "Hey, we should jam. We should hang." Hey, jam. Uh, we've got similar energy, and and then she, <laughs> out of the blue, was like, "Hey, I'm working on improving myself, and I also am like really kind of focusing on having a better, better spiritual self." And I was like, "Well, I'm getting ready to maybe launch a series of interviews with people where I, you know, explain some of this stuff to them." And one thing led to another. This happened. <laughs> Your witnesses, like you can't deny it. Mm -hmm. It's been observed. Exactly, it's been measured quantumly. Mm -hmm. Its certainty is certain. Mm -hmm. It's happening. Um, my God, sorry, I've been down the rabbit hole recently on some quantum theory. Uh, I've been reading a book by Michael Connolly. Con Michael Connor. Michael Connolly. <laughs> well, I'm going to use one of these takes, but he's a former NASA scientist uh, that worked at the Jet Propulsion Lab, uh, the JPL, and he, you know, he grew up Christian and everything. He tried to resolve his faith because he he believed in God. He just needed to understand it a little bit better, and he found him in science, like I did. And uh, through my personal, you know, my own personal journey, I think finding God through science first, and then helps. kind of <laughs> helps, and then kind of like building off that spiritually. Especially if you're on the spectrum, it really helps. It really helps. Like right here, this is one of the things I'm going to have to pop in on. Uh, right here should have been some talk between us about other elements of nonverbal expressions that people with autism struggle with. Brianne shares several traits with people who are on the spectrum, and we got into a bit of a conversation over how actively learning your nonverbal expressions, uh, for those of us who excelled at it at least, uh, it can result in becoming adults that read nonverbal cues that others might miss, as people who picked it up naturally haven't trained as much active focus on these things as those who had to learn them non-intuitively. 
But those that have, have this reinforced active attention that they've spent so long pointed directly at this. And the brain is trained to expect input to analyze whenever we look at a person. Again, granted, not everybody develops this as a result, but for those that do, it's a valuable gift. And we went on to talk about how it can be difficult sometimes for us when we are still micromanaging all of those nonverbal expressions. You know, we're doing it actively, consciously. At, at least for me, it had this unpleasant underbelly of an emotion to it. Even though the emotions I was expressing with my body and my, you know, my body language, my face, my sounds were 100% genuine emotions that I was expressing that in no way differed in shape, volume, or validity from anybody else's emotions. Having to actively move my face and body, you know, consciously, almost like puppeteering, it gave me this questioning of the genuineness of my emotions. Like, I was, I was worried that because I was essentially acting to show consciously how I felt much as an actor might and because that meant that I was having to and I use air quotes here fake the emotions on my face I couldn't help but feel somewhat that this means that my emotions weren't as real or as valid as other people who naturally respond non-verbally and uh, it, it was axiomatic, you know, it was because this on my face is not real. It, 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 and again, I, I knew that the feelings I had were real and, you know, were genuine. It, it's like they got discounted as soon as they passed through that filter of being expressed in this way. And I know as a heck of a thing to be like laid out on the head of a 12 year old. But, uh, you know, this was only a problem for my adolescence and my young adulthood. I eventually pretty much got to the point where my face and body react automatically with the appropriate nonverbal sounds. And face and body, and believe me, I occasionally I do still spit out the wrong thing. But the closer that I got to this goal, the less and less that there were any real feelings of disingenuousness to my you know, emotions because, you know, there was no longer an act involved anywhere in it. Right. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Uh, so that brings us up to speed now. I uh, apologize for me butting in, but hopefully you enjoyed the microphone. It's something I think about often is like a lot of the time it's like I'm really like conscious of like what I'm doing with my body even if like it's kind of spontaneous I'm always thinking about like my facial expressions mm. and the amount of eye contact I'm maintaining right. and the way I'm moving my body it's just a very confusing scape sometimes but it also helps to know like when you're trying to express yourself yeah how to express yourself yeah. in all these different mediums and uh, human beings are incredible at basically finding a way to share that which they think or that which they feel or that which they have found and it was good and you know we came up with language 
you know, we found ways to express it through the sounds we could make and the shapes we could make with our mouths and our tongues. Like, we're like, and I'm gonna shove air at you and here are my thoughts and things. <laughs> it's pretty here's, crazy. Here's up here, just emptying out up here and let me hit everything that's, of all these molecules, they're bumping into each other in the air in a very specific pattern. Mm -hmm. Like, that's You just take incredible. this electricity and make it into <laughs> something everyone else can understand. Exactly, and we put it and we find <clears throat> intonation and we find find ways to further color what we're saying by the way we're saying it. And then we're like, you know what? It's not enough that we're saying it when we're saying it. Let's make it stick around. So we figured out ways to make it stick around in written language where you put dark little squiggles on slices of tree and then you, your voice can be heard in somebody else's head exactly as you said it. Like your thoughts can withstand millennia. There's so many different ways we've come up with expressing ourselves, but there were things that were not expressible by ways of literal, you know, I understand. yeah, expressions like how we feel. It's a big one, you know. When you undergo grief, when you undergo being in love, when you under all these different things, there's a we found that there's ways to express them in going abstract and not saying it, but saying the things around it, allowing them to see the, the process of it, allowing people to see little slices of it, of it in action to describe what it is or all the, you know, photography, art, music. But there is one that we go to automatically since birth, pretty much. I mean, it's a learned behavior, sure. Nonverbal communications, uh, you know, face movements, uh, yes. body language, and the sounds we make that aren't the <laughs> word sounds. Yeah, my favorite kinds of sounds. Your favorite. You kinds can of ask sounds. anybody. How, like every time, have you met anybody who I have a sound effect <laughs> for everything? Like it, it <laughs> it's know. almost uncomfortable. I can't stop. I couldn't stop, <laughs> even if I wanted to. I don't have that many. I I do occasionally throw like a. I mean, like. I, of course, involuntarily, I'm like, ah, and, you know, like I'll do my. Ah. A lot of nonverbal language is stuff that you have to pick up and you have to understand it kind of as you go, but a lot of it's almost seemingly automatic for most people. And if I told you an emotion, you could think of it pretty much. You can close your eyes and you can think to yourself of any, any emotion. Like think, think of an emotion, lock one down for me. I got it. Think of what it looks like, what it sounds like. Like you can immediately think of the sound, the look. In fact, most of the time it has a descriptor, a, a word that you can use to describe the sound and nonverbal communication that people, like if it's sad, crying. Which emotion was it? That you oh, uh, anxiety. Anxiety. Mm -hmm. What is the sound of anxiety? Oh, it's like a static TV, but it's like hot. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> when I say nonverbal communication, when you're trying to communicate to somebody that you feel anxiety, you don't look at them and go. No, I do. You obviously don't know me. What's a sound someone would make to express that they're anxious? Yeah, there's anything there I've made that What's one it? quite a few times. Okay. Sleep. What's another emotion? Um, jealousy. Okay. What's a jealousy sound? Um, a jealousy sound. I've made that That's, one before. That is really good. Mm-hmm. Chin raise, there's a, you know, there's all sorts of, 
Oh, okay. You throw a little sass in yours. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sassy. That's, that's fair. A lot of sass. I'm a, a lot, lot of sass. sass. That's why I don't subscribe to that emotion. There is one emotion out there that there is no, that, let me rephrase, that I can almost guarantee you, you cannot right now tell me the descriptor word for what the sound and nonverbal communication mm. is. And it's easily the most important one of all the emotions. People have described it as being like oxygen, all you need. It's the only thing worth both living and dying for. That's me, by the way. That's a quote of me. <laughs> Somebody else might have said it at some point, but I, I came up with that on my own. Love. Right? Mm -hmm. What is the nonverbal sound that you make when you love? What's the nonverbal body language and facial movements that you make when you love? And I, I promise you, there is one that you can name right now, but it's going to be elusive to you because it's a riddle. It's something that's been hidden from you your whole life. It's yeah. been right under your nose. I know there's been a, times with Kelly where it's like, no, I've been feeling the love so hard. Like it just makes me want to laugh or like, you know, just smiling real big. Like, I don't know. It's just funny to me that I can love something that hard that like another person can make me feel that alive. Brand, I, I have asked hundreds of people this question. I talked to a lot of people about this and you just walked directly <laughs> into the right answer. But if I said laughter is the sound when we, that we make when we love, most people would argue, I mean, not... Not really, not I mean, laughter is joy, man, and joy and love, I, but I feel like... But it's not always. Like, you don't laugh because you're loving all the time. No. Like, that's not the, the whole reason you laugh. Like, it does sound like kind of most people... You may not need any spiritual help. Good grief. <laughs> uh, you kind of floored me with that. Um, most people would argue that, yeah, kind of, but... Way to steal my thunder. Let's roll I'm back. Sorry. So, Brienne, what would you say is the sound of love? Not a clue, right? No, I have no right. clue. <laughs> I don't know what it could be. <laughs> what Tell me, could Will. It be? <laughs> the reason that it is a riddle is because it's not the kind of love that most people automatically think of. And that, and I think about it, and you and Kelly are both very much the type of people that would get this concept. But when most people think of love, they think about a very aimed variety of it. A type that is sent in a specific direction because you can't widen it out to everybody. You can't... Okay, so I'm gonna wait till they're pulled away just a little bit. We'll roll room sound real quick because we still haven't done that. Kelson, <laughs> you had 18 jobs. Can you do at least one of them? Three. Very Kelson. 
the reason it's a riddle is because he'll never tell you why it's a riddle. <laughs> Fair enough. I figured it out, guys. And we tend to do that aiming because, well, we can't trust everybody. You know, and we've got that on our heads, and society damn sure doesn't let us forget that. No. Uh, we fire love through arrow slits and castle walls. So we have our defenses, and we decide who's worthy of coming the inner castle gates and then coming inside that. But when we are not aiming our love, there's moments when we're like, I, I've used this example in my book. I've used a lot of this in my book. Uh, but this is just the best ways I've found to describe them is like when you're sitting at dinner with friends you haven't seen in a long time and that you adore, or family members you haven't seen in a while or you know having like that 3 a.m. porch set with somebody that you adore and it's just things are quiet and you can't help but laugh you just love everything and everyone in those moments you're not you don't have your defenses up mm-hmm. you just you become giggly when you're trying to make that person you love laugh it's just in those moments your defenses are down you're not worried about who you're keeping out you're just letting in you're taking a hill on a sled when you're raising your arms about to do the dip in the roller coaster you just your smile turns into a grin which boils over and cracks into a billion pieces into a laugh and you let it out into the world and anybody that catches it gets some it's the sound of love we instantly recognize it and it's musical and when we feel that way when we feel like that sadly this did not get included in the conversation but when you feel like that your defenses drop they they come tumbling right down you are existing in that moment as you were designed to best function that's right you have reached zenith tier you are you've been optimized to do this And that love comes pouring out of you, and you do not care who it hits. When you laugh like this, and you love unaimed like this, you feel complete, right? Like, all of this is going to be okay. And you can choose. And what's insane is you can choose to do this anywhere, anytime. Because you don't need to find a roller coaster or sledding hill or front porch. You can instead simply decide to drop the walls and love them all. And to be ready to share that love with them with a very specific kind of laughter. The absolute purest kind of laughter. When you just open up and let in and it just comes naturally, that is the genuine laugh. Trademark pending. But I mean, that's that's something I have labeled the genuine laugh, is when you just let it out because you're overflowing with joy and and love and you're not concerned about who it hits. You're not concerned about who's going to take advantage of it. Love, love. (laughs) <laughs> to love love. I love love. It's it's a good thing. App just absolute, just completely like vulnerable, like joy. Like yes. I love that feeling. 
But, this is the hard part. I talk a lot about on the channel how the secret to happiness is doing for others. It's caring about others. It's loving others. It's nobody gets happiness by themselves. Not real happiness. You can get kind of a, I don't know, a tied you over kind of happiness. Like when you when you do for self, when you buy something you want, when you, I don't know, when you do whatever for self uh, to try and go for happiness. It's all the excitements before you get the thing and then like you get the thing you're like all right and then it just becomes another thing you own so quickly the best analogy the best analogy that i've come across well, let me look at yeah maybe the best analogy that i've come across so far is essentially one that states doing for self is is kind of like eating what's your favorite candy reese's pieces Ooh, a lot of reese's pieces Mini M&M's. Mini, mini M&M's. Yeah, the small ones. Because you like get more candy coating in it. They should, they're so much better. I no, can't. They are it. too, aren't they? It's, they're it's a bit a sweeter. Candy to chocolate ratio. Interesting. I'm just Come thinking here. about getting some on the way home. Mm-hmm. It's like eating your favorite candy, Reese's Pieces, as many as you want for dinner. But you don't feel good after. Mm -mm. Like it doesn't feel like you had dinner. You don't feel like you've completed your night. And it just, when you wake up, like you're not super hungry, but because it kind of sits like a dead weight in there. It's not, it's not good. But when you do for others, it's like, it's like eating a three course meal. Mm -hmm. It leaves you satisfied and full and you just, I don't know, you feel, feel satiated. It lasts for longer. Mm -hmm, it does. So Reese's Pieces do not last for long. Unfortunately, there's this other type of laughter out there that, well, it's a bit like that. It's a bit of, it's a bootleg laughter. It's like a, you know, $10 Rolex kind of laughter. It doesn't, it doesn't satiate. It doesn't, like, it's a it's a quick little boost. But then it's over as quickly as it was. Yeah, that made sense. No, it does. It's like when you see a video of a guy and like a bucket hit, hits his head or something and you laugh and feels good for a second. I hit you right now. But it doesn't last Why so are you stepping on my lines? Is that really your line? Why oh are my you God, running so up sorry. on what I'm about to address? <laughs> How did you guess? Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's where we're going with this. There's this theory out there by uh, Peter McGraw, genius. He's a researcher and professor at the University of Colorado. Um, he, he wrote a brilliant book, well, co-wrote it with a journalist where they went around the world and they specifically looked at uh, why why each culture laughs, like why what did they Aww. find funny. And yeah, he runs Pearl, which stands for the Humor Research Lab at the University of Colorado. But the thing that struck me was benign violation theory. This man jumped on board with a theory on humor that we've had three pretty much over the last several, several centuries of philosophy. Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, they tried their hand out at the very first philosophers. Why do we find something funny? Uh, they went with superiority theory, which basically said that you feel you, you're laughing because you're better than them and you're acknowledging that you're better than them. 
uh, they had uh, incongruity theory, which was basically that what happened was not what you expected. And then there's relief theory that states that uh, basically that we left to show that everything's okay, that it's, it's all right, like whatever scared us is fine. But there's no theory that fit all the different types of laughter. And then this man, and I, I kind of hate that he came out with it like a year after I discovered mine. <laughs> and he wrote about it, he did uh, several, several papers about it, and he did this one brilliant paper in 2014 that everybody should read because it's like a page and a half. Uh, and it's just so succinct, but essentially you have a Venn diagram, which is two circles overlapping, and on one side you have benign, right, which is things that are predictable, things that you uh, can see coming, things that are unchanging, things that are safe, things that, you know, don't really have any violation to them, and then it's you have fair. violation, and violation are all the things that make a joke not okay. They take a joke too far. It's that vein of things. And all humor lies somewhere in there. Somewhere, you know, but where it lies, the amount of benign versus violation, uh, the levels are picked based on your relationship between the viewer, the laugher, and the victim. If you're really close, it only takes just a little bit of violation in a perfectly safe setting. Somebody could not even completely trip and fall, but the other person burst out laughing if you guys are besties. <laughs> you know, and it's made funnier by the fact that they weren't hurt because you don't want to see them hurt. No. Um, whereas, because we do not care about other people as much when they're fictional, which a lot of readers would argue that. Uh, but on, in general, if you create a fictional character, you, it's okay to laugh about, you know? Mm -hmm. You can have the worst things in the world happen to a movie character, and it's hilarious. And then you hear stories on the news, and there's some hilarious stuff there, but those are real people. And then, you know, you see stuff happening in the world uh, when you're out and about, and Sometimes we make fun there. of that. <laughs> yeah. There's this type of laughter that we have that falls under benign violation, but it tends to be when more violation occurs because we've geared a style of thinking towards I can get more for myself if I care about others less. The less I care about others, the better off I can be. I can, I can pick my path better. I can make my way towards what I want more easily. And I have a higher chance of getting what I want from me. This is where all that starts coming full circle here. And in this newer focus that we've had that keeps progressing more and more towards a self-centered kind of hero all the different uh, all the different capitalistic pushes that we have and which you know, it is better to do for yourself we wind up with the necessity of lowering our compassion of basically deadening ourselves a bit so that we don't feel as bad for other people we don't feel as obligated to help other people and we use the breaking laugh for that 
we use this style of laughter and you see it in shows like uh, it's always sunny in philadelphia is an excellent example i'm sure you can just off the top now you know what you're looking for there's a lot of breaking laugh television out there there's a lot of breaking laugh movies out there there's a lot of focus on helping us kill off our compassion just a little more each time this kind of laughter again it's this bootleg version of the real sound and we're using the sound of loving all to help as a salve on the wound of each time we break our compassion off just a little more just each time we pulverize and reduce our ability at empathy a little more so that we can laugh off things that we don't want to feel bad about so that we can move past the stuff that we've done to other people that we don't want to feel bad about it's a training laugh and it's a breaking laugh and it's a salve and it's a dime store knockoff and it's that's the breaking laugh it's any laugh that takes you further from our interconnection takes you further from each other and it was from here that i found everything else that i found everything else to be continued. <laughs>